Hi, I'm Mike Vardy, and today I'm going to have a productive conversation with Aaron Meyer. Okay, so you have to love how I flip that around uh, in terms of the intro. You see, as part of the shift, uh, not every single episode will have the guest introduce themselves off the top because several episodes were recorded months ago before the rebranding was underway. So occasionally you'll hear me off the top kind of, you know, twisting things around in the intro. And, uh, you know, that's because, you know, when you're doing reinvention and you're, you know, changing things up, there really are no rules, so you have to kind of make them up. And speaking of rules, Erin Meyer is the author of No Rules Rules. She worked on this book with Reed Hastings, of course, who you may know from a little thing called Netflix. Erin is also the author of The Culture Map, Breaking Through the Invisible Boundaries of Global Business. She's a professor at NSEED one of the world's leading international business schools, and her work has appeared in Harvard Business Review, The New York Times, and Forbes.com. In 2019, Erin was selected by the Thinkers 50 as one of the 50 most influential business thinkers in the world. She received an MBA from INSEAD in 2004, and she currently lives in Paris, France, which is where she reached out to me and vice versa, uh, for this productive conversation today. By the way, in 1994-95, she also served in the Peace Corps as a volunteer teacher in Southern Africa. You can learn more by visiting AaronMeyer.com, but I also think you can learn a lot more through this productive conversation I'm about to have with Aaron Meyer. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Aaron Meyer to the Productivityist Podcast. Aaron, thanks for joining me today. Nice to be here with you, Mike. So we're going to talk about a a few things today, but the one thing I want to jump into is that you were the the co-author and are the co-author, not just where you are, it's it's still ongoing, of uh, No Rules, Rules, Netflix, and the Culture of Reinvention. And you co-author that with Reed Hastings, who, you know, we'll link to who Reed Hastings is in the show notes. I think people generally have a sense of who, who he is if you've been following Netflix for a while, if you subscribed to Netflix for a while, you know, globally. I'm, I'm, I'm We've been using Netflix forever. And I wanted to ask you right out of the gate, like, what what about Netflix fascinates you or fascinated you to the point where you're like, I want to do this. I want to not only be part of Netflix, because I know you've consulted with them, but like, I want to, I want to dig into the culture there. So I'm an expert in national cultural differences. My first book, The The Culture Map, is all about how to work with people around the world. And I've actually never really been interested in corporate culture until until this company, because I've always found corporate cultures to be kind of bland and often not really reflect the way people are actually behaving. But this, this company, Netflix, they have a, a really honest and interesting corporate culture. So I first came across their, their famous culture deck. Uh, which is a set of slides that have been downloaded from the internet, I think over uh, 20 million times. And when I saw those, I was pretty taken aback. So there is one slide in the deck that says, at Netflix, adequate performance gets a generous severance. And, you know, that kind of shocked me because I'm a professor at a business school and we'd been studying all about psychological safety. So the idea that you would just kind of throw this idea of safety out the window and instead say, you know, no, if you don't perform, you lose your job. I found that really startling. (laughs) There were other things also with that culture deck. Like it says things like 
um, at Netflix, the vacation policy is take some. <laughs> or at Netflix, the expense policy is act in Netflix's best interest. And I thought those things sounded interesting, but I couldn't figure out how like a real company could operate with thousands of, of employees and having those kind of really loose rules. So that's why I became interested in studying this company and figuring out how it was actually working. Well, and, and it's interesting because as you you mentioned those rules like there's there's that that blanket statement like you know vacation take some and uh, obviously at first blush people are like wait what so so as you dug in and i know you go into this this in the book it gets into this but most people when they look at that they're like okay i don't know what to do here how does that get kind of um integrated and understood throughout you know as as someone goes through the journey at netflix because there's something one of the comparisons i i kind of understood from netflix is it's it's not a a family the company is not a family it's more like a a pro sports franchise right you know like as as a as a fan of um a football eventually the players that are the best eh, they're not there forever right you know they end up getting traded or they end up retiring or they end up getting cut um there's there is this journey that goes there how does the the as you did the research and as you spent time with with Netflix and, and kind of immersed in it, the understanding of those rules, how did that how did you see people take on take into those rules and understand them to a degree or at least have a sense of what they meant by, hey, vacation, take some or, you know, act in our best <laughs> interests? Yeah, so maybe I'll just start by talking about why they're doing that stuff, which sounds to be kind of crazy when you first look at it. Yeah. So, um, so Reed, Reed Hastings, the CEO and founder of Netflix, who I wrote this book with, the first time I interviewed him, he uh, told me a story about his first company, which was this company called PureSoft. And when he opened PureSoft, it was just like, a, at the beginning, a small group, an entrepreneurial company, people kind of working, let's say, fast and loose, right? So they didn't have any vacation policies or expense policies like most small companies. But then as the com as the company grew to hundreds and then thousands of people, uh, some complexity increased and some people took advantage of the freedom and started to do stupid stuff, right? So like there was this one guy, there was this guy named Jim who used to fly every week from San Francisco to LA. And because there was no travel policy, he started flying first class. Right. Right. Uh, there was this woman who used to bring her dog to work every day. I mean, there was no rule saying that she couldn't. But one day the dog chewed a big hole in the carpet. Mm -hmm. uh, so then Reed and HR did what most companies do as they get big and people kind of do stupid stuff, which is they put in place all of these rules. Right. OK. Travel policies, uh, an employee handbook, no dogs at work. Right? Um, but then also uh, the really, let's say, kind of like mass Maverick-y, creative thinkers, a lot of them left the company because they didn't want to work in a place with a lot of rules and process. Right. And then the company stopped innovating and they had to purchase other companies that were innovating because their innovation had just grounded to a halt. And eventually when the company needed to change direction from C++ to Java, the people who were running the company, they had been conditioned to be like really efficient and follow all these rules, but they weren't super flexible and the company was unable to adapt and right. Reed had to sell the company. So with his next company, which was Netflix, he he, he said, you know, I'm going to set this company up 
with no rules or as little rules as process in order to to give this kind of freedom to my employees. And even as we grow large, we're going to try to just keep that that freedom, that no rules ethos. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. So that was kind of the groundwork to all of this, which then leads into those other ideas that you were talking about, like talent density, for example. Right. Right. And and what's what I find fascinating about that story is it was almost like an overcorrection, right? Like we had no rules and then we're like, okay, we're going to lock it down and create incredible constraints. And I think we like there needs to be a framework of some sort because frameworks foster freedom, but those frameworks can be, like you said, they can be loose and they can be nuanced, right? And I think that, that you know, when we talk about the, the high talent density piece, which as I was looking at this, I'm like, wouldn't that freak people, like, wouldn't that freak people out when they're like, okay, you know what, we're going to, because the story is, you know, I'll let you tell the story, but the idea of like, it, there was a lot of employees and then there were not as many. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we have a lot of, te- like we have incredibly talented people. This organization is dense with talent. So we now have some room to play within that. Can we talk a little bit about what that looked like and how the, you know, mm-hmm. h- how this density came to be? Yeah. So as Reed started Netflix, he wanted to give his employees a lot of freedom. And he recognized in order to give employees freedom, you're going to have to have really good employees, right? Because mm. the, the ones who are the bad ones, they usually need rules. Yeah. Um, but he also thought like on, on most teams, on every, maybe you always have some mediocre people and some great ones. Uh, the company opened in 1997. And then in 2001, it had grown to 120 people. And the, the environment was okay around the office. They were doing fine. But then there was this financial crisis and Reed had to lay off one third of his employees. Uh, So he was really dreading that. He thought it was going to just, you know, bum everybody out when suddenly they all had more work to do and he'd fired their, their friends and colleagues. So he, he did the, the layoffs and, you know, people cried and screamed and normal stuff. But within a, a few weeks after the layoffs, he, something really surprising happened which was that those 80 employees who had been, you know, let's say the better of the 120, they were now accomplishing just as much as the 120 had been before them. And a little bit later, within a couple a couple of months, they were accomplishing more than their 80, the 80, the 120. 20 employees had been previously. Um, And I think even more interesting than that was that the environment around the office had just improved, you know, dramatically. So suddenly it was like a group of people who were just madly in love with their work. So Reed's conclusion to this was that, you know, for really good employees, like for your, your, your highest performers, a great workplace is not about fancy offices or sushi lunches. It's about being surrounded by other stunning colleagues. Mm -hmm. So he set an objective then, which is that in the future, he would try to always make sure he had only the top people in the organization. And that's when they came up with this startling expression, uh, which is adequate performance gets a generous severance. (laughs) And again, when when you go back to that pro sports franchise analogy, like it's an all-star team. I mean, when you watch an all-star game, sure, it's like it's fun to watch because all of these performers perform at their highest level and they, 
you could just see that it's almost like they know there, there's this there's this chemistry there that's undeniable, right? Once they and it doesn't take them as long to kind of figure out what to do to get to the objective that they really want to do, which in you know in, in sports it's it's win games and win championships, but in, in in Netflix's case it's like to elevate the company and move forward, like you said, in Netflix's best interest. Now, with that comes along this idea of uh, another mechanism that's talked about, which is radical candor, um, which Again, as I'm reading this, I'm going, ooh, would I have thick enough skin to deal with that at a at a you know at a at a company such as Netflix? Can we talk a little bit about what that was like? And I know that that you kind of faced that radical candor right right from the onset, right? Oh well, yeah. I actually <laughs> you it didn't take me long to to start uh, being treated just like another employee. The the example that you're probably referring to is this first situation I had when I was just getting to know Netflix, and I went to give a a presentation in Cuba at their um, at their leadership conference. And um, they what they say at Netflix is if you have feedback that you could provide provide to another person. And that would be helpful to that person. And you choose not to provide it, that that is being disloyal to the organization, right? So they really take that feedback, like, as their superpower, right? Um, So I was giving this presentation to a group of maybe 500 people. And at one point I came down from the stage and uh, they were, I gave them a little topic to discuss in small groups. So I was walking around and there was one woman on the, in a, in a small group and she was talking in a really animated way, like waving her arms and everyone was kind of looking at her. So I looked at her also and she saw me and she beckoned me over. And then she said to me in front of her, her teammates, she said, Eric, I just want to tell you, I think that the way you are facilitating the discussion from the stage is undermining your point because you're talking about cultural diversity, but then you're asking for volunteers and only the Americans are raising their hand. And, you know, this is really killing your credibility. So I hope you'll find a way to to change it. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, I was stunned never before had someone given me like criticism right in the middle of a keynote in front of their team members. (laughs) But I got over it quick. Right. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's right. I have three minutes before I get back on stage. I better find another way to facilitate the discussion. And I did. Right, I came back on stage. I used a different method. I got all of the nationalities involved and it was a huge help to have received that feedback. So that's actually, I think, a great example of what feedback is like. It's often not very comfortable, but it also often helps us in incredible ways. But the way she delivered it, it didn't sound like it was mean or mean spirited or, or almost like looking down upon you from like this perch. It was very, again, very, it was just candor, right? Like it was very candid feedback that was not malicious or anything like that. It was just like matter of fact, right? Well, she was just trying to help me out. And right. that's what they say at Netflix, right? They say that you shouldn't say it about someone something that you haven't said to their face, right? So she was doing that. Mm -hmm. And second of all, your feedback should be actionable and it should aim to assist. So it was all of those things, but that didn't keep me from feeling startled (laughs) about it because it's so unusual. Right, right. And I think that that's the one thing that is, again, that's just absolutely fascinating. Get back to my initial initial, uh, point off the top is that it's not something that you would anticipate. And 
not everyone would do that in a work environment, but at Netflix, it's it's not just encouraged, it's it's almost it's mandated to a degree. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make, or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Shopping for new clothes can be time-consuming, tedious, and expensive. Fortunately, Stitch Fix makes it easy to find the clothes you love. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique style, size, and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy. Keep your favorites and send back the rest. That's exactly what Vanessa did. Stitch Fix also has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. There's no subscription required either. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward pieces you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids, and they ship all over the U.S. and are available in the U.K. as well. Get started today at stitchfix.com timecrafting, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com timecrafting for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com timecrafting. Plenty of things can take a toll on your happiness. What interferes with yours? Is there something preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, maybe you want to get that book finished. Maybe you want to start to look elsewhere for work. Maybe you just want to have better relationships, not just with others, but with yourself. Well, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in a wide variety of fields like stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, anger, grief, self-esteem, depression, and more. You can also send a message to your counselor anytime. That's the convenience factor I'm talking about. And you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And you can do this all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great matches as well. So they make it really easy and free to change counselors if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Plus, the service is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is convenient. BetterHelp is professional. BetterHelp is affordable. 
and I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of the Productivity is Podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash timecrafting. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash timecrafting. Business isn't business as usual anymore, and starting up is more challenging in this changing environment. Sit Down Startup is a new weekly podcast from Zendesk. Our startups team brings together Zendesk leaders with founders and CEOs in a coffee shop style conversation who solve real problems, sharing the successes and pitfalls of customer engagement. Catch weekly fresh new episodes on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever because they're focused on managing and growing their business they can't always spend the time they wish they could on recruiting. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. I have to say that by going through LinkedIn Jobs to kind of vet candidates for the work that I need in my own business, uh, being in a familiar environment is incredibly powerful, plus the pool of talent was really incredible. And you can get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. That's one big hiring pool. Plus, you can fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then it's easy to filter and prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash timecrafting. That's linkedin.com slash timecrafting to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. That's linkedin.com slash timecrafting and post your first job for free today. Again, with the regard to radical candor, it the idea of no rules, rules, but there are some rules, like you mentioned, around candor. So there is a framing around it. But again, it's very personal. Like it's it, like productivity, which I've talked about many times before. It's subjective. Productivity is very subjective. But the goal is to get to the objective, which the team is trying to accomplish. How someone um, relates to you and how someone is going to communicate with you is going to be different person to person. But when you've got those, and again, there's those four rules, right? Which you mentioned, like helping, you know, actionable feedback, you should appreciate the effort, you know, and the fact that someone's giving it to you, right? And then also thinking carefully about whether or not you're going to accept it, which you did, you know, um, those kind of things, um, everyone's going to deliver it differently. But with those four rules in mind, the objective can be realized, like the goal of what Netflix is trying to accomplish can be realized. That's right. But I do think it's quite interesting because I know a lot of companies in the past year or two have been talking a lot about trying to develop uh, cultures of of candor and the idea of getting more feedback out there is really, I think, hip right now. Mm. But I haven't found many companies that have actually managed to do it the way that that Netflix has. And I often, um, you know, I often talk about our brains when you're thinking about feedback because because your brain has a dilemma when it comes to giving feedback. So your frontal cortex, right? That's the logical part of your brain. Mm -hmm. That part of your brain understands the benefit of feedback and usually wants more of it. So there's actually one really comprehensive study that showed that 72% of employees wished that they would get more feedback and think it would help them. Um, so that's great. But the problem is your amygdala. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that old amygdala. And so the amygdala, that's your the fear center of your brain. It's the most primitive part of your brain. And that part of your brain is quite worried about finding safety in numbers. Mm. So when it has any kind of sense that you might get rejected from the group, which of course, you know, in ancient times would, could have led to death, right? Yep. Um, when it has any sense of uh, that rejection might be coming, it sends off alarms. And of course, that's what happened to me in that presentation in Cuba, right? I mean, she gave me that feedback. And my first reaction is that my amygdala starts screaming, right? It starts screaming, oh my gosh, you're going to get kicked out, right? You are rejected. <laughs> um, and that's what happens when we give feedback. We all know what that feels like, sure. right? When someone says something to us that doesn't feel very kind or feels kind of like telling us we're not good, we start feeling like, oh my gosh, I never want to talk to that person again, or we deny it, right? Um, so I really think that you need to find methods in your company for helping employees kind of uh, hush the amygdala mm -hmm. <laughs> and get the frontal cortex out there. <laughs> and that's what these uh, that's what these articulations around candor have really done. Let's get back to the take some vacation uh, scenario that uh, that we started off the conversation with. Um, so there, the idea of policies, this is the third mechanism that, that, you know, we kind of look at in, in the book. Um, one of the, the things I found fascinating, and this I think maybe has to do with the whole fight or flight, you know, the, the, uh, the safety center that the amygdala, uh, there's a one of the stories that comes up is when Reed was basically rewriting some of the policy based on some travel issues, uh, somebody didn't like that very much. Did I wonder if that also had to do with like, oh my goodness, this person's take jumping into a place they don't need to jump into because they didn't believe that it was something that he should be doing. Can we talk a little bit about like the getting to this idea of vacation? Mm. Just take some. Yeah. So um, I I know people are pr are really interested in this idea of like how could a workplace operate with no policies? Mm. And these are of course symbols, right? I mean the reason they do that at Netflix is that these are symbols of we believe that you are an adult and we will treat you like someone who can make decisions for yourself. And then in turn, we hope that you will behave responsibly, right? So that's the, the cycle of freedom and responsibility, but it doesn't mean that anything goes. Right. And I think the biggest worry that people have with, uh, with vacation is that if you don't tell people what they, they can take, that they won't take any at all. Mm. Right. So that's where modeling becomes really important. Important. And at Netflix, they say lead with context, not control. So the boss <laughs> at Netflix is expected to take big vacations. And I think any company who wants to kind of give their employees this sort of freedom of policy, they need to make sure that the bosses are doing the maximum, right? Like taking the most free, the most vacation policy possible. Because if we notice that our bosses are taking a lot of vacation and our colleagues are taking a lot of vacation, then we will seek to do the same. Right. So there's still certainly norms that be, are being set in the environment that others are following. It's just not a rule about how many days you can take and that you're writing it down as you go. When it comes to that, trust is a big issue. Now, what's interesting is, as I was doing research for uh, for our conversation, trust comes up in your your previous book, The Culture Map. Right. Like trust is something that. And obviously, when it comes to, you know, the idea of having no rules and you're talking about the idea of policies and being an adult as opposed to being, you know, a kid that's just going to kind of take advantage of scenarios because there's, you know, there's an end around that you can have. How 
how does how integral is trust when it comes to this stuff? You know, specifically when it comes to having very loose or um, nuanced rules, uh, and how does a company avoid the bias of going? You know what? If we if we don't have enough rules or we don't have enough um, policies in place, uh, we're we're going to run the risk of of you know capsizing the ship as opposed to saying, hey, you know, we're going to trust our people and it's going to lead us to where we ultimately want to go. Yeah. So I do think the more that you show your employees that you trust them, the better they will behave. I mean, that's that's clear. But also we have to kind of recognize all of these things happen in tandem. So if you have uh, a bunch of mediocre employees around who you kind of wish weren't there, then you probably are not going to be able to give them this level of freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's only because they have this this um, culture of candor uh, where people call one another out if they take advantage of the freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that they that they can um, that they can give that level of freedom. So those three three things all all happen in in cohesion, right? right? And you know, of course, there is like I think if we go back to that idea of talent density for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, we should we should say. I mean, they use this what they call the keeper test at Netflix, which sounds quite uh, which sounds quite draconian, but I think actually any manager should be using it. And the system is that you should. Um, each manager should uh, imagine every, you know, maybe six months or every year that each employee on her team is coming into her office and saying, you know what, boss, Uh, I've got another job. I'm leaving the company. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, how would you feel if that person told you they were leaving? I mean, would, would, would you be devastated? (laughs) Would you say, you know, no, Lisa, don't leave. (laughs) Would you do anything you could to keep Lisa on the team? I mean, if so, then that means that Lisa is the right person for that job and that you can give her any freedom uh, that, you know, that that is appropriate. And she and you, gonna, she's going to use it well. Mm-hmm. Would would you feel relieved? Would you think, oh, my gosh, good. Now I don't have to deal with that problem <laughs> or, or maybe even excited like about who you could get in that position. And if so, then that's clearly not the right person for that job. And you need to think, have I given that person enough feedback? And if so, then I need to find a way to move them out to find to find a better replacement for the job. So I do think it's really critical to think you can only take away um, these policies and give your employees you know, so much kind of like freedom to decide for themselves once you know you've really got the right people on the team. Can we circle back to the leadership with context versus leadership with control? Because, uh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that, especially with trust, and when you've got that high density talent, it leads to the capability of being able to give them more, obviously more trust. But I know that as I went through the book, the idea of dispersing decision making is one of the things that you can do and it the results can be you know incredible because of that can we dive into that a little bit yeah so i actually think that that's the number one reason that netflix has been so successful that they've grown so quickly and that they've been able to make such enormous strides. It's because um, the decisions are not um, well, they have no decision approval requirements. Mm. So people at low levels of the organization can make it can and are encouraged to make really big, expensive decisions uh, for the organization. And of course, that's what you can do when you've got 
got the best employees and a lot of candid feedback going on. So they use this image that I just love, which is that um, at Netflix, the decision-making is not like a pyramid. It's like a tree. So at most organizations, of course, uh, decision-making is like a pyramid. You've got the chairman who's kind of at the top, right? And then you've got the lower level employees at the bottom and low level employees can make small inexpensive decisions, but for any decision that costs some money or is important, it has to get pushed up the pyramid to get approval from someone, let's say uh, of higher status. Um, But at Netflix, decision making is like a tree and the CEO, the chairman, he's down there in the dirt, So he's right down there with the with the roots of the tree, setting the context for the organization. So that's where we have this lead with context, not control. Right. So he's the one saying, you know, this is the the North Star that we are running towards. These are the things that we need to keep in mind as we make decisions. Here are all of the things that we want to really focus on. And then his his top level managers are at the the big trunks of the tree, making more Uh, setting more context for their own departments. But the lower level managers are the ones out there on the top branches who are making the multi-million dollar decisions for Netflix. And, you know, the thing, of course, is that with a pyramid, you can only grow so fast, right? right? Because you've got a bottleneck at the top. Yep. Uh, But with a a tree, you can grow at any level um, that you are that you're ready to at any level that your that your employees are ready to and of course that you're financially up for. So yeah, so that's the, the image that goes with this. Before we wrap up, Erin, I want to I generally end most of my conversations with people about what like a simple action that they can take. And as you know, you've listened to this conversation, you the listener right now, uh, the idea of what Netflix has put in place, you know, the 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 idea of high density talent, you know, radical candor, and then of course the removal of policies that kind of bottleneck things, and we kind of touched on that, especially near near the last little point you made, which I think is, I mean, that's that's like you said, revolutionary. When people start thinking about things in not a hierarchical context of this idea of a pyramid, but more of a a tree, like the foundational stuff, which I think is phenomenal. If, if someone's walking away from our conversation right now and they're like, you know what, I want to bring this to my company or, or they're running their company like, you know, what? I need to I need to make this happen because obviously Netflix is a successful model. And, you know, as Austin Kleon says, steal like an artist, I'm going to steal these and, and do it myself. Mm. What what's one simple action that they can do right now that's going to help them start down that path of building a, a, an organization that has a, a similar um, kind of structure that Netflix does. Yeah, so that's the most important question because we wrote this book not as a history of Netflix or a wow, look at that crazy company, but I really wanted to give you know clear lessons to anybody who was leading a team or or a company and wanted to kind of figure out how to get more innovation and more flexibility in their organization. And even if you if you're if you're the if you're opening up a company, that's one way you might do this, but you also might be working for a big company. Company and just have a small group of employees who are working for you. There's 
lots of things you can do step by step. So just keep in mind, right? The model is first I take one step to increase talent density on my team. Talent density means I have less employees who have more talent, right? So maybe I hire less people, but I pay them more, for example, right? right? Or I do the keeper test, right? Whatever is one step. Okay. The second thing is I take one step to increase feedback and candor in the on the team. So maybe we decide we're going to do what Netflix does and do these 360 feedback dinners right, where mm-hmm. we get together and give one another feedback in uh, over a meal in front of the group, right? Okay. right, right or right. maybe something maybe something not that dramatic, right? <laughs> but you take one step towards being more candid. And then you take one step to giving your employees a little bit more freedom, freedom to make their own decisions freedom to operate in a way that they feel is is best even if it's not what you would have done right and then you do it again right one step to talent density one step to candor one step to freedom and then you know it's a cycle that runs on and on until you feel that you've gotten to the the point you want to be at Aaron this has been great thank you so much for taking the time to join me today the, the book is No Rules Rules, uh, and you can pick it up. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll link to it in the show notes, so go ahead and, and pick it up through the show notes. Also, you get the culture map, which I think, I mean, again, that's we didn't even get to really touch on that too much, but that's okay because I think that that, that book kind of led you to, to the No Rules Rules book, right? I mean, as I went through it, it's like, you know, that it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, connective tissue, especially the, the whole idea of culture in one place, you know, globally, right, versus culture in a corporate culture. And the fact that you, you know, kind of alluded to, I was not interested in corporate, but what Netflix has done clearly is, is monumental. Um, where can people keep up with you and your work? Yep. So please join me on my website, which is AaronMeyer.com, or join me on LinkedIn, where I post frequently both about national culture and corporate culture. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivityist podcast. Thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy. Next episode, I'm going to feature Jeffrey Shaw on the program. Can't wait to have that conversation with him and share it with you as well. Thanks to Fina Charlson for putting this episode together. Really appreciate it. Thanks to Soundstripe for giving us um, the license to use some of their music, not just in my YouTube videos, but with this podcast as well. And thanks to the rest of my team for helping put together things like show notes, audiograms, and all that stuff. This Productive Conversation podcast does not get put together by me alone, not by any stretch of the imagination. And having a team allows me to do things like check ratings and reviews of the podcast. So if you want to leave a rating or review, rest assured, I will see it. So whether you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, leave a rating and review. That way I can check out and see what we can do to make the show better. And if you are a first-time listener to the show, welcome Now hit that subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss a single episode and can also find the archived episodes of over 379 at this point episodes. Uh, You'll be able to find those far easier as a subscriber. So subscribe to the podcast right now, wherever you are listening to this episode. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Until next time, this is Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.